Thanks for pressing play. You're listening to the Brody Windsor Group on Real Estate, the podcast for homeowners seeking guidance and support on everything related to owning a home. This includes much more than just buying or selling. We've got you covered for everything from mortgages and financing to home maintenance tips, renovation and design advice, and of course, the latest insights and analysis on what's happening in our local communities. On today's episode of the Brody Windsor Group on Real Estate, we have the pleasure of chatting with an exceptional guest whose dedication to empowering investors spans over three decades. Keith Matthews is a financial advisor, portfolio manager, and author of The Empowered Investor, an amazing book now in its fourth edition. Get ready for a super interesting conversation as we delve into the wealth of experience and insights Keith brings to the table. We'll discuss the most common real estate concerns his clients have as they head into retirement, the financial instruments that are linked to home ownership, as well as his opinions on the current real estate situation in Canada. Hey there, Keith. Welcome. It's great to have you on the show. Scott, it's, uh, I'm thrilled to be here. Congratulations on launching the podcast. Thank you. It's, uh, it's been a long time coming, and uh, I'm excited to, uh, to dive into this conversation with you today. And I think you've always been that sort of coach mentor for me uh, over the years. And of course, I've been lucky enough to have you uh, helping manage my uh, financial affairs uh, f- for quite a quite a number of years now, and you've been managing uh, my my mom's money, my parents' money, and and Sean as well as a client of yours. So we've got to really understand your philosophy, and I think that's why we wanted to have you on today is talk a little bit about you know uh, your philosophy when it comes to wealth management, retirement planning. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about. Sure. And obviously, we'll sort of intertwine some comments about real estate because real estate is important. Um, uh, all of our clients own real estate in some way, shape or form. But let, let's start with sort of what we do. We're an investment management firm. We're licensed as a portfolio management firm. But early on, we, we uh, this goes back 30 years now. Early on, we realized that it's not just about portfolio or portfolios. Uh, most people need planning. They need, uh, they need a, an idea as to are they on track and what do they, if they're not on track, what do they need to do to get on track? So often individuals will come in and will, will ask us sort of uh, portf- uh, questions around money and investments and portfolio. And in, in our conversation, we'll realize that they need more help in the planning side and understanding where they're going. And that could be retirement planning or it could be if they're retired, you know, how do I actually lead my life? Uh, what, what really should I be spending? Uh, what should I be gifting? So portfolio, planning, and tax. So tax would be the third component of what we think is a comprehensive service. Uh, we probably do tax returns for 50% of our clients. The other 50% use their existing accountants. Um, but it's kind of like you cannot manage money or manage financial plan without really understanding tax. We also live in a highly taxed environment, Canada. So you, you need to be aware of, of what to do. Um, you need to be aware of making sure you take advantage of whatever strategies are available and just reducing your tax. So um, we've operated a firm for 30 years now. My partner started in 1995. Uh, we have 14 amazing team members. And um, it's a combination of tax, planning, and portfolio management that we do. Now, your firm 
you and your firm were early adopters of you know an index-based uh, portfolio management strategy. Can you give us just a brief uh, background on how you discovered this and this way of investing and how it's evolved over time? Absolutely. I mean, and we're very passionate about this. Um, I, I, for, so for me, this goes back to when I was an institutional bond trader. Um, in the early 90s, I worked in bond sales for large pension funds at a brokerage, a specialized brokerage firm. Did that for five years. And what you realized is that a lot of pension fund managers that are managing bond portfolios are not beating, uh, what I realized is they were not beating the index. So they were not, in, in, you know, for lack of a better word, adding value. We would be better off simply buying a bond index than hiring a manager. So I discovered that in 93, 94, 95. When I chose to go off into the private counseling world, one of the, the foundational parts for me was individual investors, too, should be thinking this way, and individual advisors. So instead of trying to pick stocks or pick trends or pick fads to, to outperform the market, what you quickly realized 30 years ago was what you need is to match the market, actually get the market return. And if you can do that across all these different asset classes, Canadian stocks, U.S. stocks, international stocks, emerging market, REITs, bonds, you actually will do better than others who are trying to pick their way through, whether it's individuals or professional money managers. So the concept was not really, we didn't invent it. I mean, it, this actually goes back to the 70s with, with individuals like Jack Bogle who, from Vanguard, who really, he, was re, he revolutionized pension fund management by saying there is a better way. And so I was lucky enough to get access to this thinking in the 90s. And I've, we at our firm have been implementing this for 25 years now. In the early days, when we would talk to somebody and say, well, you don't need to pick stocks. You don't need to be buying a fancy mutual fund company. You need to be buying this ETF that follows the market. They kind of, they looked at us and thought we were like, what are you talking about? Yeah. That is not what I hear from my bank. That is not what I hear from my mutual fund department, my independent advisor who's a mutual fund dealer. And I would say, yeah, because... You know, the, the reality of it is there's not a lot of marketing dollars behind this. And that's what keeps the fees so incredibly low. And it works. So lo and behold now, 25 years later, I mean, our firm has never wavered from this approach. We have some nuances around how we do it um, by tilting portfolios towards value. And we include small cap stocks as a component. But it's still this don't be picking stocks to try to beat the market, um, follow the market, diversify, don't chase, definitely don't buy last year's winners because you're going to get a surprise. Um, don't be chasing fads. Um, and, and, and lo and behold, a lot of Canadians and definitely Americans and international investors are really gravitating towards this approach. So it is, it is really a, across the world now becoming the favorite way for most people to get access to, to, to returns. So you were really uh, ahead of the curve in Canada, uh, so to speak. And I think you mentioned your passion for this, right? You, this is something you really believe in. And uh, I think that comes through in all of your you know, client interactions that you're, you believe this is the best thing for clients. And I think that may have prompted you 
to take on the, the task of writing a book, correct? The Empowered Investor is now in its fourth edition. Um, you know, tell us a little bit about how that came to be. Well, uh, absolutely. Uh, um, you know, just to back up one sec, one of the big realizations that I had was if you offer this as an investment management solution that gives you and frees you the time now to also help in planning and getting the tax in. So now, you've, now you're really solving individuals' problems and you're really providing a path. Whereas if you go to an advisor that says, I specialize in just picking stocks or chasing fads, but I do none of that other stuff, what you're really dealing with is an individual who's going to attempt to be doing things that, quite frankly, aren't doable. So why don't we just say it's not doable? Why don't we track things very closely and then offer high-quality services that really help? So that was part of the, 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 the fundamental concept behind that. Um, I approached the Montreal Gazette in 1998, and um, you graduated in journalism. I remember I actually failed English. They wouldn't let me graduate at Concordia because I had failed in English, and it was my grammar which let me down. So I was never strong at writing. And uh, when I went off to post-grad school, I, I said, I'm going to get better at this because it's, it's good for the career, and I have to do it. Um, but I approached the Montreal Gazette in 1998, and I said, uh, the newspapers are missing something. There's a new voice that has to come to Canadians, and, and, I, and I think I, I've got some ideas that make sense. And it was around this concept of you don't need to be hiring mutual fund managers. You don't need to be trying to pick stocks. You can buy these indices and, 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 these, bench, and these asset allocation exposure and put it in your portfolio and have wonderful long-term results. And so I, I remember sitting down with the editor of the Montreal Gazette, and I proposed 20 articles for him. And he accepted it. And not only that, he paid us for it. So I thought that was, that was kind of a cool concept. So you're not actually writing so that you can get self-promotional exposure. You are being paid legitimate dollars to write, even though I was a financial advisor at that point, and express these thoughts. Um, so we got picked up after six articles we got picked up by the financial post which was a the big show now yeah. you're now you're getting national exposure That's credibility. correct yeah and um and then some readers kind of chimed in and give would send emails and say you need to take this message and you need to develop more why don't you consider a book so uh it started with the articles with the montreal gazette went to the national post we then created a series of 15 um sort of chapters and then it turned into a book which right. is usually the way it happens you see something missing you see that there's a problem that needs to be addressed and you then take it upon yourself to start writing uh, articles which become chapters and before you know it you've got yourself a book that's exactly and, and when you speak to individuals that's exactly right and when you speak to individuals they'll say that's kind of a reasonable path to go um so the book was hard. It, it was long. It, it, uh, it, it, it took uh, many, many, many long nights. My wife said, don't, please don't ever do it again. <laughs> and so I did three more. <laughs> Not in spite of her, obviously, but it was, it was, it was a great exercise. Um, it, just like you're doing these podcasts, you know, when you, when you decide to build content and put it out there for people to digest, you need to do your research. You need to be on top of your game. Um, you need to you need to be thorough, and you want to bring value to your listeners. So you know, I know you and Sean are doing a great job at producing this and your team. 
And it's exactly what we were doing in those early stages. Well, I said, I think we're following a great lead. Your example, you set a great example. You, you wrote the book, you published the book, you continued to write articles, you continued to write blog posts, you continued to put that uh, message out there uh, to your clients. And, and then that evolved into the podcast. And I remember I, I suggested you, di you did it like uh, many years ago and you finally uh, took me up on it and you started it. And it's been almost three years now, isn't it? Well, we're coming up on our fourth year anniversary. Wow, it's amazing. And, uh, but you know, it's, this is my first video. So I've never done a video piece. Uh, and you guys have a great setup. Well, that'll be the next step. Well, we're, we're looking at it. Uh, uh, but no, we're, on our, we're coming up on our four year anniversary. And the backstory behind that was we're a very personalized company. So we meet with our clients all the time. It was the pandemic. It was March 2020. The world was kind of get, remember, getting shut down. Yeah. We're in the investment industry. Stocks declined 38% in one month. So, a lot and, of fear. And, 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 and we couldn't meet people. Mm. So we said we had always had this thing on our, on our mind, like let's maybe consider a podcast. Um, incidentally, that we had blacklisted the podcast. We said it's too, we think it's too hard to do. Let's do a lot of other things. Pandemic hit, and we said we need to reach, we need to speak to our clients. And so that's when we started, March well, I gotta, 2020. I got to tip my hat to you because it's one of my favorite podcasts. Uh, it's your content is incredibly informative and, and valuable. Um, so I, I want to commend you and your team, Marcelo, Ruben, uh, Lawrence, Jackson, the whole team. Uh, they're all getting involved with it now, correct? It started off with you and Marcelo. And now you're getting everybody involved. Well, what we do is with the younger, the younger generation, they're doing the research and they stay sharp with this. Um, but yeah, it is a team approach. If you, we've told them, if you want to do this right, this is a marathon. Yeah. So we cannot, 80% uh, of podcasts do not last one year. So you've got to get ready for something that's going to be long. Uh, you need to be prepared. We, we said to ourselves, we need to be prepared and, uh, and we need to be consistent. Uh, so the team has been amazing. Everybody's taking their turns. It's a great way to develop talent. It's a great way to stay sharp on your con. It's a great way to research. We have become better advisors because of that. We're keeping our clients informed. We used to do newsletters. We no longer do the newsletter. We, we deliver the podcast, not just in audio, but in written format. Yeah. And, uh, one thing we've always said is it absolutely has to be helping our existing clients or people that look and feel like our existing clients. Um, you guys were on the show. We did uh, three, yeah. three, three podcasts on real estate. Uh, three, three year, in two thousand twenty-one, April twenty twenty-one. Yeah. yeah. So you know that was uh, an eye opener. I, I remember Sean on the show telling, and, and I've been following real estate for for decades. And I remember Sean telling me something in the show that the issue in Canadian real estate is municipal zoning. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like. No, his houses are too expensive. And he'd be like, yeah, but it's, there's a reason behind it. And there's lots of reasons, of course, which we can talk to a little bit later. But I learned so much from Sean talking about um, the municipal barriers that are not allowing development. And uh, well, since that day, I've really, really, I've really worked hard to try to, you know, get my knowledge up, you know, up to speed in this area. Well, we're definitely going to touch on that in a little bit. Um, for sure. Want to start by just getting, you know, re, re uh, going back to, you know, your, uh, approach 
to not only the investment philosophy and approach, but your approach to servicing clients, because that's unique and a little bit different as well. And I'd like you to speak a little bit about that, about walk us through that multi-service client uh, approach that you've developed. Sure. Well, you know, at, at the heart of your question is, is I think the best way for me to respond to that would be, we're trying to really solve our clients' main problems, main issues, main challenges. And really there's, if I look at all Canadians, there's really three main issues that people are grappling with. The younger Canadians, uh, you know, 20 to 35, 40, they're grappling with, am I doing everything right now to set the proper foundation up for me and my family? What am I, am I missing anything? And, and am I doing everything right? Am I saving enough? Am I, am I leading my life correctly? So we've put together pieces that help young Canadians on that. Um, the other main area are, are pre-retirees and retirees. So pre-retirees, their number one issue for individuals between the age of 45 and 60 will be, am I on track? You know, they've, they finish school, they start jobs, they start families, they buy homes, life gets in the way, and they kind of wake up all of a sudden and say, I'm doing all this stuff, but am I doing it right? Am I on track? Am I on track for what? Am I on track for an independent, secure retirement? And something happens around the age of 50 when people, it clicks something, they, they kind of say, you know, geez, I got about 10 to 15 years to work. A am I going to be okay? Because they also realize that 15 years goes by pretty quick. So 15 years ago, they would have been like, well, I'm, you know, 35, 15 years before that I was in CJEP. It's like, well, I remember that vividly. So they know it's going to come quick. So that's the number one issue we're trying to help them with. And, um, and retirees, their number one issue will be, you know, am I on a sustainable track? Is this thing going to work? Can I actually be okay till I'm 80, 85, 90? It, will, it all be, will it all work well? And so the number one thing we're trying to do is solve those, those problems, solve those issues. And how do we do it? We try our best to, to uh, create an environment where we can do projections, um, and, and these projections are such where they provide a tremendous amount of clarity. So at the end of the day, what we're, the, the experience that we're really trying to bring our clients is bring them clarity so they can see their future, so they, they can see how their financial affairs are sorted out. That clarity will in turn lead to them being confident about their future if they are confident about their future and they understand what they can control and what they cannot control, they cannot control the market. They cannot control how to identify, you know, all these great big, uh, you know, home runs. To, they can't do that. They can't control the economy. They can't control interest rates. They can control a bunch of things within, within their, their, their levers. So if we can show them what they can control and if we can increase their confidence, um, to, to us, that's everything because that then leads to peace of mind. So if you talk about what we're trying to do, it's add clarity, bring confidence, and deliver peace of mind. Yet we're portfolio managers, financial planners, and tax people. Um, so that's what we're really trying to do in our experience. Well, I can attest to that because that's, that's me personally, right? I'm at that age, you know, 51, and uh, just went through an annual review with you, uh, with my wife and I, and we sat down and went through the process with you. Uh, and I, I tell you, every time I come out of that meeting, 
that's exactly how I feel. It's peace of mind, it's clarity, um, I'm doing the right things, I'm on the right track, and I have to say the, the projections is super cool. Like to, yeah. to walk through those and sort of, you know, be able to adjust, adjust things, look at different scenarios, and then the questions you ask too are so important about what do you want your life to look like? What did, you know, what is, what are your objectives and goals for you and your family uh, moving forward? And then how do we align to make sure that, that you achieve those goals? Well, I'm, I'm glad that's how you're feeling. That, that's, uh, we are very purposeful in trying to make sure we achieve those results with uh, all of our clients. And um, the projections are an interesting thing because there's lots of software out there. And some of the listeners in this podcast might be saying things like, well, you know, I get a projection and someone tells me if I do this, this is the end result. And that could be great. But what we've seen is that there's a lot of what we call black box projections. So there's no transparency around what's running kind of inside the box. Throw five assumptions in, get one response. That to us isn't the best way to deliver planning. The best way we think to deliver planning is to really be able to open up the box and be able, we use a software that really distinctly shows clients where their spending is, how their portfolios will do, and different variations on real estate appreciation as an example, um, and, and do it in a way that makes sense. They show them their government benefits. It's very line by line, it's very transparent. And uh, the last thing is, is it really requires a seasoned advisor or somebody who can ask the right questions. Because again, another way that a person can experience this service in Canada is they deal with somebody, it's a black box, they get a response, and they say, go home and read this 60-page report, which first of all is very hard to interpret for most people. But they don't want to read a 60-page report. They want someone to walk them through certain things and show them and ask them the right questions. So that's great, Keith. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, we find that we're really aligned with you on is that whole philosophy of coaching, advice, and walking people through the process. And your client experience is something that we're trying to do here at the Brody Windsor Group with clients, which is to um, make sure that there's much more clarity in the process, that they've got a much more holistic, long-term uh, view of their real estate holdings, their their home, and and how they can properly maintain it and increase its value over time. And so we've been trying to do that with, with our homeowner advisory club. So it's, it's, it's kind of some parallels there with, with the, the type of experience that you're looking to create. Well, 100%. And, uh, you know, I've been following what you guys are doing. It is unique. It is a game changer. And you are trying to bring extra value to homeowners this way. And I think it's great. I mean, homeowners... Yeah, I, I get, you know, we, we, all of our clients have homes, so I, we, we, we know what homeowners look like. And, um, you know, often uh, they're not thinking about their real estate in between transactions where they really, I think they need to be. Um, you've mentioned it. You're, it's kind of like a maintenance program. And it's an extra service program on everything. So it's great value. Yeah, thanks. I mean, that's what we saw as a gap in the real estate industry was, you had professionals helping you with a transaction when you're in, you know, the the mindset of either buying or selling, and you're ready to move. Um, 
but we often found we'd we'd encounter clients who were ready to sell their home um, but had not put in the proper planning to get their home uh, ready for sale and so it was a lot of things like I didn't even know who I should turn to what I should be doing so it's just not knowing um, we found that was a big missing link in in the whole uh, you know service service providing of, of real estate advice well kudos to you guys because in the end it's extra work right Absolutely. it's extra work that you have to do you're doing you're either building up a, a blog building having a guest on that's going to talk about some maintenance issue you're doing extra you're, you're connecting people with with uh, contacts it's extra work right so you're doing the extra work though but it, it will pay off dividends uh, I think in the long term because at the end of the day people will they need the extra advice and the extra service well that's a great segue into you know when you're sitting down and talking with clients um, I think we're seeing now that people's homes are becoming a much larger portion of their total net worth these days than it, than it was in the past and what are you seeing uh, you know, f you know, concerns from your clients in terms of real estate and their their homes. Well, you know, this is uh, very interesting because things things are developing. Obviously, the Canadian real estate market is a changing market. Things are way more expensive than they used than they used to be, and that has and we've just gone through a pandemic. So, a couple major things we're seeing. If I were to ask most, our clients are between the age of. Most of our median clients are between the age of 50 and, let's say, 65. We've got clients, obviously, between 65 and 90, and then we've got clients between 35 and 50. But let's, most of our clients are in that, let's call it 55 to 60 zone. One of their biggest concerns is, is their kids. You know, at the end of the day, um, there's a saying that a parent is always, is, is I wonder if I'm going to get this saying right, is, is, is as unhappy as their most unhappy child. Right. So if a child is struggling, they feel the pain and they, and they want to help and they see the anxiety and the issues. So what's going on with young Canadian home buyers right now in the country is that if you're between the age of 25 and 30 or 20 and 30 and you're thinking about buying a home and you're feeling like you're completely out of the market and you're never gonna get a chance to get in, that's going to be felt by the parent. And so our parents would say things like, I worry about my kid's future. I worry, I worry, will they have the same level of opportunity? Will it be as easy? Um, so that would be one thing that, uh, that, that we notice with, uh, with our clients. And um, the two other major things, a lot of our clients talk about downsizing. Yet, and this is an interesting conversation we end up with, is like, okay, so what do you want to do? So they'll say, well, I'd like to downsize in the West Island and I'll move downtown. And is it downsize to make life simpler or is it downsize to maybe consider taking a little bit of equity out of the home? And if the answer is equity out of the home, there's very little chance that that's going to occur. Unless they move from the West Island and go to, you know, a rural area, then you can pull equity out. But if you live in the West Island and you say, I'm going to go downtown, Chances are you're going into NDG, Westmount, Outremont, um, you know, uh, TMO. It's not going to happen. You're not going to, even if you go into a smaller condo, the prices are quite expensive. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of, we've seen that a lot with our clients. It's, you know, they're looking at it saying, well, I'm really trading four quarters for a dollar yeah. at the end of the day. And is it is it really worth uh, doing that? I was hoping to, like you said, pull some equity out of it. 
Um, and when you're looking at, you know, the space that they're expecting um, and what they can get for that, it, it doesn't always add up. Yeah, absolutely. So there's two types of transitions that could occur with the persons we, we see that a person might want to downsize. One is maybe to see if I can get some equity out, but that tends to not be our client's number one issue. Our clients um, have been incredibly good savers, and so their portfolios tend to be larger, and they tend to be able to go through their retirement um, fine uh, without necessarily tapping uh, real estate. The other main issue that we hear are people wanting to simplify their lives and doing what I would call a classic downside. So I live in a home, a four-bedroom home. I raised my kids. I'm now 65. I, I don't need this big backyard. I don't need all of the headaches that come with home ownership. I would like to downsize. The downsizing options aren't there. So there's, there's just, there's no, aren't the options that they would have imagined. So what are they going to do? Uh, where, are the, where are the interesting townhouses? There aren't any. Where are the kind of pre-retirement communities? That's not a thing in Canada. It's a thing in the United States. It's not a thing in Canada. Well, there are some in, in Ontario that I've seen, you know, like uh, semi-detached bungalows in a, in a more, you know, like a condo type association, but you still got uh, a de semi-detached home and you're you're sharing the the lawn care expenses, for example. But at yeah. least you've got the the size, the footprint that you've got on the main floor. And we your... need a lot more of that in Canada exactly. because because you know one of the stats I just I mean think about that for a sec. One of the stats I just saw was we have a record amount of couples or individuals living in four bedroom homes with no kids in them, and yet at the same time we have a record amount of young people trying to get into the market and trying to, and there's no place for them. So we've got too much space for 40% of the population, not enough space for the other, there's just not a match. Yeah. So things are not, are not connecting up. So we, we do see that with our clients that they would like to maybe consider simplifying, but it's just, there's just no options for them. Because of this supply and demand issue that we've been seeing for the last few years. Well, they don't have, and they don't, they don't have what they're looking for. You know, the 65-year-old today is an active 65-year-old. 65 65-year-old 65 30 years ago perhaps was a little less active. Yeah. So what is more active? 60, what is that person looking for? Well, it, it doesn't seem to appear in the market. They don't necessarily want to go into a condominium and live on the fifth floor. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how the developers can come through with that, how municipalities can come through. That's clearly the second major trend we're seeing with, with our clients. And the last one that we're seeing is, um, is one that we're seeing with our, our, let's say, our clients in their 70s, uh, and, and in particular coming out of the pandemic. Uh, we hear them say things like, I'm not selling my house. I'm going to stay in my house forever. Whereas... 15 years ago, we used to actively see homeowners selling their home, even at 75, and um, and just, you know, whatever, renting, um, maybe buying a small car, but basically saying, I don't want to live in my four-bedroom home anymore. And so the pandemic was very difficult uh, for, for, for lots of people. Well, you saw the issues in a lot of the retirement homes uh, and... People said, I just don't want to get into that situation. Well, there was retirement homes and then there were nursing, uh, sort of nursing more, homes, yeah. more, more uh, higher care homes. I think the issues were more in higher care homes, yeah. but we still don't have these retirement complexes. And so we used to see individual, look, my, my, my father sold his house on Woodland Avenue. He sold it at 74 years of age. He didn't need to sell it. 
He sold it because he didn't want to maintain. I used to cut 40,000 square feet of grass. So <laughs> you know the properties on Woodland, right? Yeah, yeah. Big. So he sold that and he bought, he rented it uh, on church. Uh, a, a small two-bedroom place. He loved it and he stayed there for eight years. He traveled the world. He would go to New Zealand, Argentina. He, 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 he really uh, explored, knowing full well that he had a small Pieta and it was just perfect for him. Yeah. You get the sense that people after the pandemic want, uh, don't feel they have the options to sort of feel like they have to hunker down feel that they don't want to sell their property and will try to stay in there as long as they can. Health issues come into play, which we know because we see that with aging aging individuals, that come somewhere around 80, plus or minus five years, health really steps in. And often individuals don't have that choice to stay in their home, and they really should be considering planning that move earlier. So this is, those are the three main things, Scott, we're seeing in our client base right now with regards to real estate. Yeah, it's very similar to what we're seeing as well with those same uh, demographics and age groups that you're, that you're talking about. Um, you know, the ones in their you know, late 70s, uh, early 80s, when the health issues start happening, that's when they tend to stop you know, slowing down on the maintenance and the repairs and the, the house starts to you know, deteriorate and then they end up staying there too long right and it's they hadn't done that planning process of figuring out well where's the next step going to be but to your point there was still a lack of suitable options for them to go into um so they're they're choosing to just hunker down and stay put so let's let's switch gears and go back to the the demand side of the equation and what are some of the you know the financial instruments that the, the government has implemented recently and you know that have existed uh, to help first-time home buyers get into the market. Uh, sure, let's do that for sure. So, um, first home buyers say first FHSA. Yeah. First home the first savings home account. savings account. That's the new yeah, one. Yeah. Even I get trumped on that from yeah. time to time. Although we've done two podcasts <laughs> on it already. A great podcast, by the way. So uh, I would highly recommend uh, our listeners to yeah. check that one out on the Empowered Investor podcast. So, so it's. Uh, so there's been a couple of instruments that have come together. Um, there's always been the first uh, home buyer's plan through an RSP where you can borrow up to $35,000 out of your RSP. It's a down payment on a home. You have to pay it back over 15 years. That really is the, the original plan that was in place to try to help young Canadians access real estate. The one that was launched last year, actually it's in play now for most financial institutions, is the FHSA. And the way that one works is you are allowed to add up to $40,000 into this specialized account. It's a brand new account. And uh, individuals uh, get a tax deduction. So you it, this is not a tax-free saving account where there's no deduction. Right. Your individuals make a contribution. They get a tax deduction on that contribution and the entire amount can be used on the purchase of a first home. So um, for family planning matters, as an example, we would encourage uh, sometimes parents who have access to additional capital, who wish to try to help their younger generation. That is one way for them to make that contribution. Um, we would, even if the person is younger, we would say, 
defer the deduction, which you're allowed to do. So for example, if the person's a 20 year old and a grandparent wants to make a contribution, they can, we would encourage the 20 year old not to take the deduction yet, wait till you finish school or whatever development you're looking to do when your income is higher, take the deduction then. Uh, alternatively, of course, for every young person who's able to save once they're out of university, that should be one of their number one accounts that they save too. Now the irony about these plans is that it's an attempt to be a solution. Not a, the controversy behind it is that we're not 100% sure it's a true solution as opposed to propping up demand again. So it's kind of a bit of a circular issue here, which they're trying to make it cheaper. for. Uh, they're trying to allow people and give an advantage to make that deposit. But by doing so, you're also allowing more money to come at homes. Yeah, because it's, it's the down payment that's become so difficult for first-time homebuyers, right? Correct. Where you don't have equity from a previous uh, property to put towards that down payment. So you've well, got to come up with that savings. And the savings, you know, in, in, you know, 15 years ago, even eight years ago, the savings, would, it would be uh, two, three, four years to save for down payment. Well, now, you know, general basic stats are somewhere in the 15-year zone. That's a long time to save for a down payment. That means you might have a down payment. And the problem that's occurred is price appreciation has, has surpassed this, the person's ability to save. So it's almost like this never-ending concept that just can't be met. So the attempt with these saving plans is to allow individuals the ability to do so. So if you're a higher income young person, you can use both. You can use the FHSA and the first home buyer's plan. So a, if you now multiply that with, a, with two people working and two people saving hard, you technically uh, $35,000 each. Okay. So you technically, if you're, let's say you're in your mid-20s, I would be telling people that's the number, you should be saving hard for those two. And maybe in five to seven years, if you're lucky, you can get to $150,000 down payment, so, which, which is now sizable. So would you recommend that people contribute to the first home savings account first, and then the home buyer's plan, which is basically taking you know contributing to your RSP and then being able to to borrow from that RSP given that you have to pay that back within 15 years what do you what what do you think is the best well it, avenue it's a great question and so this is about sequence of deposits like which one goes first mm. and and you know there's there's not one right or wrong answer here um, that's the first thing I'd say there's maybe some writer answers uh, but some of it is preference so so what I would tell people, I always prefer telling young people start saving for your retirement. So I prefer the RSP route as a general notion. I think the, the compounding is the eighth wonder of the world. It, and it truly is. It is a huge difference if somebody starts investing at 25 for their retirement versus waiting till they're 35. Right. Individuals don't grasp that exponential growth and the opportunity they're missing when they forego those those RSP. So I'd go RSP closely followed by first home savings account. Now the tax-free saving account really gets pushed aside a little bit if an individual does has aspirations to be a homeowner. Um, I actually think the tax-free saving account was mislabeled as an account. It, the word savings should be removed 
and I think it really should have been tax-free investment account. Right. Because what we see often is individuals thinking that this tax-free saving account is this account to kind of put money into for some purchase they might wish to make in five years from now. Um, we have always, with 100% of our clients, view the tax-free saving account as kind of like a second RRSP. So once you've maxed out your RSP, then contribute to your tax-free savings account. For the long term. For the long term. Not to be saving for a trip. Right. Not to be saving for discretionary spending. That's more like a high interest savings account. That's more like put that aside and just put that aside. Yeah. And yes, you know, and, and I think the banks actually push too hard on this savings account notion. They're just trying to grab money at all costs. And, you know, I, I, I think it should, it really should have been from the get go tax free investment account. Think of it as a long term because you gain your, 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 your saving on the tax that would alternatively be paid if it was in another investment account. Um, you know, which is, which is interesting, but it's really only interesting when you think about it long-term and compounding. Makes sense. So, so back to your original question on these first home savings accounts, they are good. Um, uh, they are worthwhile. They definitely should be followed up on. Uh, there's opportunities for individuals to contribute. There's opportunities for family planning as well. Awesome. Okay, that's very cool. And again, for a deeper dive on that subject, uh, you know, check out the the podcast uh, where you you went into the the full details of that of that program on your podcast. Now, our homes are representing, I said before, a much larger portion of our net worth and than they have in the past. And saving rates, it's also well known, saving rates among Canadians is is at an all time low. So what? What programs are there out there available to seniors who may not be, you know, sort of uh, in your client base, but may need to rely on the equity that they've built up in their homes? Yeah, that's uh well, the first part of your question is a loaded question. Well, not loaded, <laughs> but yeah, so we can get into that whole sort of where are we at in Canadian real estate. Um, and I really do think we're in a very difficult spot. I mean, you're in a great position as a professional to help people navigate it. But if you are an individual trying to figure out how do you make this work in your life, it's getting harder and harder and harder. And it is going to become one of our, one of our uh, I feel anyway, one of our big issues that we have to solve. Um, on your question with regards to how do you get equity out of a home, a reverse mortgage is, I think, uh, what you're alluding to and what we've recently spoken about. And we will have clients using a reverse mortgage. Um, we typically if they don't if they don't want to sell, if, well, yeah. So if they if they've depleted their investment accounts, so typically we would want to be telling a person you want to go through your in a perfect world, you want to uh, if you choose to retire at sixty or sixty five, you have enough savings that can get you through your retirement. Now, recent surveys show that Canadians don't have enough savings that pre-retirees, individuals between the age of 55 and 65, um, in fact, there was a recent report on by, by Deloitte, a major accounting firm that says 55% of Canadians will have to decrease their lifestyle expenses at retirement because they do not have enough money saved. And this is, this is going to come through. Um, for all sorts of different reasons. And there's a lot of different challenges and it's not just a simple equation as to well, how did that happen? 
but um, so we, we, we really try to guide our clients to make sure they have enough money saved. So at 65, they can get all the way through and the house, the house is almost a safety valve. It's the, it's the asset of last resort, which is should you um, reach 80 and you're selling your house or 75 and maybe your funds are depleting and you need extra health care, extra, uh, extra care, um, uh, cognitive decline might be setting in and there's some extra expense. The house is there to help with that process. Some individuals desperately want to be able to pass on some form of wealth to their kids. And so they viewed maybe the home as that last resort also. But individuals who need equity in their home in order to pay for lifestyle um, have access to these reverse mortgages. They have accesses, quite frankly, to all sorts of different things. They can go set up a line of credit in the bank. Yeah. Um, they could go borrow off family and friends and then sort of secure things with homes. But what is interesting about a reverse mortgage is there's a mechanism in place. Um, and, and I do think we're going to see more people using reverse mortgages in the future. So the individual that typically would use a reverse mortgage is a person who owns a home, would be older, let's say, uh, and, and I don't, if you're not going to use a, you're allowed, I think, technically to use a reverse, a reverse mortgage at 55. You wouldn't do that then. That would mean that you, you're, you're financially strained somehow and you haven't saved enough and that would be a last resort mechanism. Um, but so when you know that you're, you don't have the resources you need, you can tap into your equity. It is, you are setting up a mortgage where um, you get money advanced to you, either in a lump sum or in installments. You take that lump sum or those installments or those monthly payments and you live off of them because you've, essentially run out of money in other sources mm -hmm. and that for a lot of individuals whose homes have skyrocketed in price there is a there's a lot of uh, of access to capital and so some of the mechanisms around it is no matter when you start they have rules as to how much you can borrow and what at what age you can borrow at the rates are not particularly attractive they are expensive higher than a land credit for example they typically are but they still it's a mechanism that works well so it will give you the access to the capital that you that you might need right and sometimes if you if that's what you have as your choice well that's a pretty good choice and it works so i i i actually i think they're good i think they will be i think they'll be in in greater demand in the future, and I think more and more Canadians will access it. Yeah, because we haven't heard that much about them. I mean, there's been a, you know, a few companies that have marketed them. You there's know, only two. There's two big ones okay. in Canada. So, yeah. so this is not something that uh, the major Sked A banks do. So the big yeah. five don't do it. Um, you you need to go see a. You need to typically see. You can go direct to the two organizations that do them, or you can talk to a mortgage broker. Um, we typically recommend individuals speak to a mortgage broker first because there's other options they can explore. Okay. Um, but it is still a high value, I think a high value financial uh, instrument that can be used at the right time for the right person and, and it can be a life changer. Okay. That's good to know. Interesting. So let's say I'd like to get your opinion now on the current situation in Canada uh, regarding real estate. 
And what's what, in your opinion, are the biggest issues that we need to address moving forward? Because like you said, uh, real estate professionals, uh, it's our, you know, it's our belief that we should be working hand in hand with people's uh, financial advisors to, you know, have a holistic picture of, you know, what's happening. And I think real estate, as you've alluded to, is becoming uh, more and more of a challenge for a lot of people. So I'd love to get your thoughts on what's happening. Well, this is, yeah. So, I mean, the, the, uh, I've always had a fascination with, uh, uh, on real estate, you follow it, uh, listen, uh, you know, we, we, as long time West Islanders and Montrealers, um, I remember when Bo repair was called beyond repair. And, and this is, uh, around 1997 beyond repair. You didn't spend a cent on a window. You didn't spend a dollar on a, on a driveway. For, there's absolutely no way you spent money on landscaping. Like, you just didn't do it. Why didn't you do it? Because you knew that for every single dollar you invested in your home, you'd get 40 cents back. Beyond repair, right? right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's been fascinating to see. You know, when we, um, when we use real estate in our models for clients, we, we, we assume that real estate will grow at inflation. So we put two or three percent in the clients sometimes look, yeah, but my home's appreciated temper. Great. That's in the past. Um, but, but there are some uh, interesting is not the right word. There are some challenging things we're seeing in the real estate market right now. And uh, thanks to great parts of the series we did on our podcast, we started get we started seeing these issues. And then since then, I've I've uh, I've, I've been following it and reading about it, uh, reading policy issues. Um, we have an imbalance in this country right now, and, uh, and, and that imbalance needs to be fixed somehow. Um, the imbalance is essentially there is way too much demand for the amount of properties that we have in this country. And, and the construction of new homes is just simply not enough to meet um, what is healthy demand. So let's start with, I think, positive. Uh, uh, the positives that are going on in the country is we are growing as a country. Immigration levels are, are of such where, where we're one of the few G, G7, G20 countries that's growing healthily. We need that if we want to sustain an economy. Okay, so I'd like to get your opinion now, Keith, on what's this current situation regarding real estate in this country. And there's obviously quite a lot of challenges, and I'd love to get your take on what you think uh, some of the solutions could be. Well, um, you know, the reason we're, we're having this discussion is you know that I, I, I'm interested in real estate. You know that I've got views on that. Um, thanks in great part to the podcast, the initial podcast that we did with, uh, with Sean, and, and uh, we did three on real estate. It was an eye-opener for me. And I started to realize, uh, well, there's, a, there's more to it than what I originally thought. Um, th there's supply issues that I didn't understand. There's... there's uh, uh, um, municipality rules and regulations that I couldn't quite follow. And, uh, and so I started reading policy and I started, and, and you know, this is into government pol policies and sort of municipal policies. And um, because it is such an important part of wealth management, you can't help but track data, track trends, track understanding how, that's how our brains work when we think about finances. And so, lo and behold, you know, I think what I've, what I've discovered is we have a major issue, major challenge in this country. 
And the irony is, you know, for, for a country that is as big land-wise as we are, and for as small a population as we have, we are completely out of whack with pricing in homes relative to people's incomes. And I compare that to lots of G7, G20 nations. And so when I think about the future of, the, of, of kind of, uh, for my kids, I've got three adult kids and the future, the whole future, I, I kind of sit back and say, well, this has to be addressed. Because if it's not, it's going to have major implications on, on how we lead our society and, 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 and then in return, how individuals literally get health care. Because we, we don't have a healthy pyramid. We talk about this in sports and organizations. A pyramid has to have a healthy bottom for, for people to, to grow and to, and to be involved. If, if it gets out of whack and rents are too expensive and home prices are too expensive, it's not sustainable. So, you know, one of the things that... that is clear is we're just not able to build enough homes in this country and and there's there's opposition um in neighborhoods there's uh you've got two, two main levers that i think have come through you've got the the federal government that is um has the lever on demand the lever on growing a population and they're doing that primarily through immigration and we need immigration we where the good news is, is we're one of the few countries that's actually growing nicely People want to come to Canada, so we're growing that nicely. But and we're not growing real estate. We're not municipalities have the the lever that controls how much gets developed in their areas. They're not letting anything get developed. Right, and then the federal government also has the lever on the what we just talked about the financial uh, programs, systems, incentives for sure to, to try and help people. But get the big into the lever that they have is immigration. Right, and so we are growing as a country, which is fantastic, and we need that. But we're not growing our homes fast enough, anywhere fast enough. And there's a, I think there's a, a we're also feeling that as a nation, you know, we're sort of, is where it's a bit, you know, we we, we feel, Canada has the has a very low density uh, in terms of the way we live in, in cities. So reports I've seen, you know, kind of suggest that. We, we kind of want to have the big bungalows with big pieces of land and everybody kind of wants that. But the problem is that there's no density. Well, we see that here in the West Island time and time again. You know, you've got um, not in my backyard syndrome, right? Time and time again, you use complaints from, from residents and taxpayers, um, you know, opposing these types of plans to, to build more, more housing, more dense density, um, you know, you just, it doesn't, it doesn't match up. Well, it doesn't matter. And I, and I, I get why their gut is saying that. I understand that 100%. The challenge is that if we as a group, as a society, don't figure out how to compromise, we're going to have some pretty major issues in 10, 15 years from now. And there are going to be issues that we don't like and that we won't be happy with. And, um, you know, I, mo most people want a really good healthcare system. If you don't have taxpayers behind us, or I say us now, putting you in the same age category as me, Scott. Yeah. <laughs> if we don't have taxpayers behind us who are who are who 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 have a a, 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 pros, a prosperous future ahead of them, it's not going to work out well. Where's the tax base coming from? Where's the tax base coming from? Um, I can tell you that individuals, if 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 the cost of home ownership or renting takes up too much of the pie, there's nothing going into the future for retirement, and that's that can't continue. 
So when you look at the cost of, of homes in the United States and you look at the cost of homes in, even in Europe now, and you say, where do you want to be as a young person? It's not obvious that Canada's the land of opportunity anymore. It's the land of strain. It's the land of, 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 of you know, and, and, uh, of extra challenges. Um, you know, I, I went, when I graduated out of Concordia, I went to Toronto. I just, I graduated, I went to Toronto. And I didn't have a job. And I was trying to get into Bay Street back then. And it was, I went the month after the stock market correction of 1987. And, and lo and behold, I, I was working at a factory for the first five months just to pay for my rent. Factory and I was a courier. Yeah. But rents were actually okay. I can't even fathom a young person having to spend $2,700 on a rent in Toronto. I Let alone Vancouver, I, I and, and even it's starting to creep into Montreal now that if you're not spending, I don't know, what's the general rent rate now? Oh, uh, it's like uh, 1200 a month. But I think as an individual, if you're, I think you're up to like $800, $900 a month. And, and so this implications on, on all sorts of different things. So, yeah, my daughter's in Ottawa. She, she was paying $900 a month for a one room in a, in a house. You know, it's... So I think supply will come. It has to come. They have to read. We have to figure out rezoning. We have to done in an intelligent way. Um, we need more. We need more density. We need much more density. We need cities within cities. We need walking cities. We need better transportation. You know. Um, you know. I think one of the challenges is you have, you have individuals say, I, "I don't want density," but at the same time, they want better climate. Like, how does that work? So everybody's got to have two cars in their garage. Like it's just like we as a we as a group, we got to start figuring these things out. I think we need we need better politicians who can actually talk about the solutions on all sides, all sides. Because that's one thing you hear all the time is a complaint is traffic. And so, but to your point, urban planning and transportation, if they were improved, it wouldn't be wouldn't be an issue. Yeah. So you know, it's a bit of a I, I, it is a major issue. I I, I do see it affecting families. Um, you know, I, I think I think you're seeing movement now finally around uh, around rezoning. You're starting to see it in Vancouver. You're seeing it in Nova Scotia. You're seeing you're starting to see it in different areas. You're, you're, we're going to have to loosen things up. Um, the speed of of building a permit, uh, building a permit. Sorry, this the getting the, a the, permit, getting a permit, and building a home is too long in, in this country. I mean, the report I read I think puts us right behind Latvia. Like, that's not right it shouldn't take that long to build in this country i think you were saying it was three times uh longer than in the u.s and the uk to on average to get uh, a permit and get a, a home built in canada yeah so you know I, I think i think there's opportunities here i think it's a major issue that that uh, has to be taken care of um uh, the pandemic was an interesting twist because it got people out of cities um, but but we've got to redefine so many different things. Uh, but you know, if I was to come back, my mom always, uh, my middle name is is Pierre, and and so um, my mom always wanted me to go into politics. I never did. Uh, but, but, <laughs> You'd be great at it. Well, that, I don't know about that, but she 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 said, oh no, you have to. If you have an English name, you have to have a French name. You got to be you got to be able to be You got to be able to you know fit the part. And 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 if I had more time in my life. And, and if I wasn't so passionate about the investment business and, and the planning business, I, I, I might have given it a shot, but I, I, I think it's too late for me now. But, uh, and, I, and thank you for allowing me to voice some of those thoughts.
Well, I really appreciate uh, you coming on and discussing it because, again, like you said, it's an important issue that needs to be discussed. I think we need more conversations about it. I think more people need to voice their opinions and come out to city council meetings and, and get educated on what the issues are because I, I, I think a lot of people just aren't aware. And you're hearing from you know, certain sides that are very passionate about one side or the other, but you're not hearing from the, the sort of the middle where I think that's where you said there needs to be some compromise. Yeah, absolutely. So you're, you're actually in a, as a real estate professional who's working in an environment and you can hear people say, well, homes are too expensive uh, um, and there's interest rate now issues. I find the fascinating thing for you, it's kind of like when I'm working in portfolio management and I'm in the middle of a recession and stocks are down and people are maybe a little bit more worked up and worried uh, you st they still need good advice. Exactly. They still need uh, a guiding person to get them through it. So no matter what goes on in real estate, there's always going to be a very strong need for great professionals. Yeah, exactly. So you, you guys, uh, Brody Windsor, are doing an amazing job. So kudos to you and, uh, uh, and keep up the great work. Well, thank you very much. Is there anything else that uh, you'd like to touch on before we wrap things up? Wow, Scott, I think we touched on a lot of different things. Thank you so much for having, uh, having me on the show and, uh, and allowing me to, uh, you know, to get involved here. It was a pleasure, and we'll, we'll definitely uh, have you back later on. We'd love to continue and have more conversations because these are important topics, and we'll see how things play out. Where can people uh, find out more about how to become an empowered investor? Oh, well, I'd say visit our website, Tulet Matthews & Associates. So www.tma-invest.com google the empowered investor download a complimentary copy of our of our book uh, uh, fourth edition yeah and uh, tune into the podcast which you can find wherever you get your podcast uh, podcast in english and l'investissement transformé in french and if we're lucky That's right. one day i'm bugging marcelo to do one in spanish fantastic <laughs> <laughs> Well, you're doing an amazing job with the podcast. Uh, excellent team. Kudos to you guys and uh, continued success. Thanks very much. Thank you so much, Scott.